Hey guys, welcome again to our precious marriage series. Let's go before the Lord in a word of prayer. Again, Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace. We ask that you would be with us now, Lord. Father, as we continue to look into your word tonight, discussing brotherly kindness, what that looks like, how it is to be within our lives, within our marriages. And God, we ask and pray, would you give us ears to hear the things you want to say to us by the power of your spirit? Be with us. Watch over us tonight. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Again, we are in 2 Peter chapter 1, an incredible chapter as we've been going through this each and every week. Um, we're going to be looking at verses 5 to 7, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence Add to your faith virtue, virtue knowledge, knowledge self-control, self-control perseverance, perseverance godliness, godliness brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness love. We have made it to brotherly kindness tonight. So it says add to godliness brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness, again, it's a fervent practical caring for others. Listen, this is the Greek word for love, Philadelphia. It's the friendship kind of love. It's it speaks of the kind of love that we are to have one for another. First John tells us, listen, he says, if someone says, I love God and yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must also love his brother. Again, listen, we have been on this journey this path of a precious marriage. And Peter has told us that we must add these sayings if we want our marriages to be lush and fruitful, if we want our lives to be lush and fruitful. Because a lush and fruitful life is what we desire. A lush and fruitful marriage, I'm sure, is what each one of us desires and not the opposite. Because Peter told us, for if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful. And I believe that's what we all want. But are we willing to go God's way to receive it, to have the lush and fruitful relationship with God as well as with our spouse? Our relationship with the Lord, as well as our relationship with our spouse, it is a garden. What we plant will grow. Listen, most people want that lush and fruitful relationship with the Lord, and most couples want a lush and fruitful relationship with each other. But listen, if we are not planting those things that bring it about, uh, if we're not tending uh, the garden, if we're not taking care of those things, what we plant will grow. And if nothing good is planted, listen, nothing good is going to grow. We have to tend it. We have to plant that so that we would not be barren and unfruitful. Again, listen, we have added, as Peter has walked us through, we've added faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness. These first five really pertain more to one's inner life and our relationship with God. Then we come to the last two, which really relate more to others. And it tells us tonight, add to godliness, brotherly kindness. And we will start with the ladies. 
Okay, so brotherly kindness, as Pat already pointed out, is the Greek word from, we get Philadelphia, it's philos and adelphios. It's the love of the brethren. It's actually the real root words mean friend and brother. In the New Testament, it's used of the love of Christians one to another or brotherly love. 1 John 5, 1 says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his children as well. The Greek word Philadelphia also means friendship, brotherly affection, goodness, or virtue in action. Virtue is one of our words that we've already studied toward fellow believers. So these all tie in together. Galatians 6.10 says this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Besides good to all, for us as wives and as women, we need to remember the Proverbs 31 woman. In verse 12, it says this, she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. So for us as wives, speaking of our behavior toward our spouse, she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. And I have to ask myself, how am I treating my spouse, my friend? Am I honest and trustworthy for him? Do I treat him with kindness, with compassion, with mercy and tenderness, with thoughtfulness? If not, I need a refilling of God's Holy Spirit for kindness, for this brotherly kindness to be at work in me and in my life. A few ways that brotherly kindness might be added to my faith. I found some scriptures that we're going to look at tonight. So how can we practically make this a part of our walk of faith? Hebrews 13 verse 1, it says, Keep on loving each other as brother and sisters. We need to be our spouse's friend. We need to love them like a true friend would love. Through good times and through bad times, through the great days and through the difficult ones as well. As true, a true friend sticks with the, each other and that's how we need to be loving and treating our spouse. Romans 12 verses 9 and 10 in the New Living says this, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. So brotherly affection is sincere and it's genuine. It's not just for show here at church or in public or at family gathering. It's the same um, at home that it is anywhere else in public, showing our spouse the same kindness at all times, especially at home. This, this kind of kindness, it tells us, it takes delight in honoring each other. This kindness honors other people ahead of myself. It honors my spouse ahead of me. In that same verse 10, in the New King James Version, it reads like this. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. Kindness that prefers other needs above my own. That's, the kind, that's what brotherly kindness looks like. Brotherly kindness puts others first. It's just simply, it puts everyone else before ourselves, especially our spouse. Okay, here's a, here's a tough one for us ladies. Proverbs 31, um, verse 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. Is that what really happens when I open my mouth? What comes out of my mouth reveals what's really in my heart. That's what Luke 6.45 tells us. It's like a gauge, an indicator, a warning light. Sometimes it's a red flashing warning light, like, uh-oh, warning, warning, danger. 
is that is it brotherly kindness that's coming out of my mouth in what I say and the way I say it, or is it my flesh and my anger or my bitterness? Proverbs 15 verse 1 says this, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Oh, how true that verse is. When I can walk in the spirit of God, when there's brotherly kindness in the things that I say and the way I say them to my husband, even if there are truths and things that need to be spoken, it can deflect anger. It's kind of like the football player when that ball is coming and the, the guy is going to catch it and run for the touchdown and that defender just touches that ball and deflects it out of the way. That's what we can do to anger when we choose to have a gentle answer. But the opposite is true as well. When I choose to have harsh words and unkind words, I can be sure, just like the verse says, tempers are going to flare and nothing good is going to come out of that uh, conversation. Kind words are going to build up, build up a relationship, build up my husband. John Corson said this, brotherly kindness keeps godliness from being too harsh. Remember last week we looked at godliness. Well, kindness kind of keeps that godliness in balance. So that we don't become legalistic and I told you and God's word says this it balances out the godliness and the law it keeps the kindness so that there's a healthy balance in the things that we say and the things that we communicate he also went on to say brotherly kindness dictates that we be as magnanimous as we possibly can be to as many people as we possibly can. Now, I didn't know what magnanimous meant, so I looked it up. And I love the definition for magnanimous. It says this, generous in forgiving an insult or an injury, free from pettiness, showing noble sensibility, high-minded. I love those definitions. What a great word for our marriages. Am I a magnanimous spouse? Am I generous in forgiveness to others, especially to my husband? When I've been insulted, when my heart, heart has been wounded or hurt by something that's been said or done, maybe they didn't even see that they did it or realize that they did it, do I choose to be Christ-like and forgive anyways? Remember a verse I like to bring up all the time in marriage ministry, Ephesians 4.32. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God forgave you. Remember last week when we talked about godliness, God-likeness. It's his nature to forgive. So if I want to be like him, I must be willing to forgive as well. In the book of Nehemiah, even when God's people had completely disobeyed him once again, this is what it said in Nehemiah 9:17. But you are a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. I love that description of God. Well, that and that is his example to us of what it means to walk in brotherly kindness. It says, ready to pardon. Am I ready to pardon? Am I quick to forgive? Or I do, do I hold grudges? Do I want to be mad for a little while about it? It says he, was, he is gracious and merciful. Am I full of grace and mercy when I deal with my spouse? In, especially in those difficult moments, do I choose to walk in grace and not in anger or frustration? It says that God is slow to anger. Am I slow to anger or am I hot-tempered? Sometimes I have a very short fuse and the littlest things can set me off for no reason. That's not God's way. He's slow to anger. It says he is abundant in kindness. 
if I want to walk in brotherly kindness, I need to be like the Lord. I need to be abundant, overflowing in kindness and not in flesh. And I love the last one. And did not forsake them. God did not forsake his people even when they had disobeyed and completely disregarded what he asked them to do. I need to be not willing to forsake my spouse. Maybe he did hurt my feelings. Maybe he did do something that angered me or frustrated me or wasn't what he said he was going to do. I need to be willing to stand by my man and not forsake my spouse, even in those difficult circumstances. Regardless of who's right or who's wrong, the Lord has set a standard for us. He has put up with lots worse from me. So even in the midst of conflict, I am called to be generous in forgiveness, to be magnanimous if I want brotherly kindness to be added to my life. One of the other definitions for magnanimous is free from pettiness. How many arguments could be avoided, hurt, hurt feelings would not occur, anger not stirred up, if I would simply choose not to be upset and all worked up about meaningless, unimportant things. And we all have them. You know, we brought up the example a couple of times about the bacon. Well, just if you want to know what that really means, because I guess that's more of a personal joke. A few weeks ago, we were having all the kids over and we were making a breakfast, a little brunch thing. And so he had asked how he could help. Oh, you can do the bacon. So I got a pan out for him to cook the bacon. Well, our daughter sometimes also puts bacon in the oven, but I put out a pan for him to cook the bacon. And I did other things. And when I came back, Pat had pan, bacon in the pan and bacon in the oven. And for whatever reason, that bugged me because, like, I got you out a pan to cook the bacon. It was a petty thing. It was meaningless. It meant nothing. And I need to choose to be free from that kind of pettiness if I want to walk in brotherly kindness. I need to choose my battles wisely. Some things are really just not worth fighting about. And so, again, my spouse is not my enemy. We're going to disagree at times, but I need to choose to be free from pettiness and let the little things go. And that goes on to show the next definition for magnanimous, which is showing noble sensibility. When godliness wins over my flesh or those little irritations, that is showing noble sensibility. It's being sensible. It's choosing to not fight over stupid things. And that's what magnanimous looks like. The last definition was high-minded. This is not in the sense of pride or self-righteousness that I'm better than you or I'm right and you're wrong. But rather, it's acknowledging my own faults, my own failures, my need for God's mercy to me. And when I think about that, then I'm able to show mercy and grace to him as well. It's having my mind, rather than about me and how right I am, but my mind lifted up to the heavens to see Jesus as my example. 1 Peter 1, says this, You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love one another with a pure heart. If I want brotherly kindness added to my faith, that means me learning to show mercy and love and grace to others, especially to my spouse, even if I don't think they deserve it. It doesn't matter what I think, whether they deserve it or not. It's a command from the Lord. Titus 3 verses 4 and 5 says this, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy that he saved us. It's not what we can do, 
anyways. It's always been about what Jesus has already done for us on the cross. His mercy to me should help me to show mercy to others, especially to the man that I love. Peter summarizes a picture of brotherly kindness that we need to have added to our faith in these verses in 1 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9, when he says this, Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with one another, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender-hearted, and keep a humble attitude, be courteous, don't repay evil for evil, don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you a blessing. So basically, in summary, he's telling us, be like-minded with Jesus. Be agreeable to the spouse. Don't always be fighting and, and looking for things to argue or disagree about sympathize with one another be compassionate be aware of your other's shortcomings or having a bad day and sympathize with him love like Jesus loves me I need to have the same love I want from God I need to be able to show that to him as well be tender-hearted not hard-hearted not cold-hearted when I'm tender-hearted I'm able to show mercy and grace when I find myself angry or easily hurt and frustrated, then my heart is probably cold and I need a fresh outpouring of God's spirit in me. And he tells us to be humble. And when I have a humble attitude and a humble heart, then I am going to look to the Lord and not be trusting in myself. And I love what he says at the end. Instead of retaliating, pay back with a blessing. Even on a bad day, maybe they do say something harsh or unkind. Don't, re don't return with an evil remark back. Pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called us to do. And look at the reward for us, for ladies, for us as wives and as women. And he will grant you his blessing as we choose to walk in brotherly kindness. Amen. Amen. Good word. Good word. Again, guys, for us, um, add to godliness brotherly kindness. And again, we're going to kind of look at this in two ways. Our relationship with others, brothers per se, our relationship with um, our wives. Uh, and again, that brotherly kindness, which is a fervent, practical caring for others, the friendship love, the fraternal affection, the band of brothers, a group of people who care fervently for one another. Oh, to belong to such a group of people who actually care for one another, who are kind, considerate, wanting to build each other up, wanting only the best for others. What do you think that would actually look like in real life? Can I say that there have been a couple of seasons within my life where I've actually been a part of a group that, that actually looks like this, um, where we, 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 we practice this concept, where we cared for others, building each other up, not tearing each other down, where the group was kind and considerate, looking out for the other members. But can I tell you, again, that, that was more rare than something that was common. Um, but, but again, what happens within our lives that we find it difficult to experience this kind of a group um, where people fervently care for one another, where people are kind, considerate, building each other up. Rather, again, men, than the opposite, where it's jealousy, envy, pride, tearing each other down. And again, listen, you don't have to look very far in the scriptures 
to see uh, that in the Bible, the comparison of what it looks like or the opposite of brotherly love. Think about Cain. Think about Abel. They were brothers. Listen, they were going to church. They're on the way to church. They both bring an offering for the Lord. Cain, an offering of the, the fruit of the ground, and Abel brought a firstborn of the flock. But yet it tells us that the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but did not respect Cain and his offering. Because of this, it tells us that Cain was really angry and his, says his countenance fell. And yet God spoke with Cain, asking why he was so mad and telling him, well, if you do well, Will you not be accepted? And yet if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. Its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Again, men, listen, this is a word for us today. Again, listen, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And again, oftentimes, like with as far as your wife's concerned, if you do well, you will be accepted. And again, not that you're doing well in your mind and your understanding, but in well in her mind and her understanding. If you do well, you're going to be accepted. But if not, sin is knocking at the door and it wants to destroy you. It wants to take you out. But the scripture says you should not allow sin to rule over you. And yet for some reason, the way in which Cain did things, uh, it was whether it was the wrong heart to be seen of men or making it all about him. Because of the way in which he did it, the Lord did not accept his offering. And Cain was so mad, his anger pushed him to kill his brother. And not just within his heart, but to murder his brother. Jealousy, envy, pride can cause us all to murder within our hearts. Can I tell you that I have seen this over and over within my own life, within men in the church, men who say they love Jesus and are living for him, who are going to church and worshiping, and yet because of jealousy, envy, or pride, unforgiveness for something that was done within their hearts towards another brother, having hate in their heart, wanting to murder that brother within their heart, letting sin rule over their actions. They find themselves in a place where they don't believe that God has accepted them because of the yuck that's going on within their hearts, holding bitterness, resentment, anger. Listen, I ran into a guy a few years back who when we were at the old church on the other side of the freeway over there, some 30 years ago, he came up to me and said, hey, Pat, uh, man, it's great to see you, but you know, I really need to share something with you. I, Man, for, for years, I've had this thing within my heart of something that happened 30 years ago. We were out playing basketball and he said, I made some kind of a comment that just really destroyed him or threw him off. And and yet, to me, I'm thinking, and yet you've been holding on to this for 30 years and you've allowed the enemy to get in there and cause this yuck within your heart. And again, I, we're playing basketball. I wouldn't even remember what, what it was or anything about it. And to me, it was like not, probably a whole lot of nothing. But again, when we allow the enemy to get in there, this is what oftentimes happens. First John 3 tells us this, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 
Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not marvel, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Men, can I remind us? That sin is lying at the door and its desire is to control us, to rule over us, to rule and reign within our lives. But again, that's why Jesus went to the cross. He hung on the cross. He shed his blood. That sin would no longer have control of us. I think about another, you know, a couple more brothers. I think about Esau and Jacob. Listen, they were twins. Esau, the manly man, the man of the fields, hunting, fishing, living off the land, big beard, hairy, you know, that, that kind of a guy. And then you have his twin brother, Jacob. Jacob was the mama's boy, the city boy, lived in tents, the galloping gourmet. He spent his time in the kitchen. And Jacob, in a sense, he was jealous that Esau was the firstborn, the one who would receive the blessing of the father. And yet Esau was so quickly willing to give up his birthright for a bowl of beans. He comes in the field one day and he says, he tells Jacob, hey, I'm dying of hunger. Feed me or I'm going to die. And Jacob looks at him and says, well, give me your birthright and I'll give you a bowl of beans. And, 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 and Esau says, what, what is a birthright? I, I need food. And yet he despised the blessings of God and took the beans instead. And that is what happens with each one of us when we look at the blessings of God of something that we don't need or we don't believe in, that we're the manly man, I don't need God, I don't need a, a crutch, I can make it on my own. We despise the things of God and we never experience all that God has for us. And then later for Esau, when it was time to receive the blessing, it tells us that he sought it with tears, but to no avail. Hebrews 12, 14 says this, pursue peace with all people, holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, least any, uh, looking carefully, least anyone fall short of the grace of God. Least any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble. And, and by this, many become defiled. Least there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterwards, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Listen, it tells us that the bit of rootedness causes problems. It makes us defiled, withholds the hand of blessing of the Lord. For Esau, because of rejecting, listen, because of rejecting the blessing of the Lord, thinking he could do it on his own, then realizing when it was too late that he wanted to change his mind, even to the point of this manly man crying like a baby discovered it was too late to change things because the things of God were not important to him. Listen, I have seen this with guys whose wives have asked them to change. They begged them to change. Would you be kind? Would you be considerate? And yet with them, unfortunately, they take the mantra approach and, hey, I'm the man, you just do what I say and it just doesn't matter and I'm not changing. And then when the wife has finally had enough, these macho guys sit in my office bawling like babies. Tears, trying to figure out what to do to make her stay. 
All I can do is try to pray and encourage them. But oftentimes, as far as the wife's concerned, hey, it's too late because they don't care about the things of God or the gift of God that they've been given. Men, listen, can I tell you, your wife would love to experience this brotherly kindness from her husband. She would love it. A fervent, practical caring for her that you would be kind and considerate, wanting to build her up, wanting to only the best for her, wanting to be her friend, to treat her as a friend. And as I often say, treating her and not treating her as an enemy, because if we treat our wives as an enemy, she will usually respond uh, as an enemy. And yet think about how is it that you treat your friend? Let's talk, let's think about how is it you treat your best friend? Listen, one time, this is a story when I was young that I remember a lot. My dad was born and raised in Bakersfield at that time, kind of a small town. But there was a group of guys at his school that they, they stayed together and very, very radically close friends. Anyways, one day we're up there, we're visiting, and me and a couple of my sisters are visiting one of these friends of my dad's. And we go into the house and we're sitting there, we're talking to the family. Well, the husband had walked in the door. When the husband walked in the door, the wife said, hey, I want to let you know we have company right now. And for some reason, she, I don't know whether she didn't have the food right or something, he just goes off on her and cussing her out and yelling and screaming at her. And she finally said, listen, we have kids in the house. Or she said, we have company in the house. We have company. I don't care. And he just continues to go on and on and on and on. I mean, just being an outright jerk. And I remember sitting on the couch thinking, whoa, what the heck? But then she said, it's the shore kids. And because of that man's respect for my dad, silence. And he walked in that room with his tail between his legs and he's kind of asking forgiveness and kind of saying he's sorry and stuff. But I'm thinking, whoa, whoa, whoa. You, you have this respect for my dad where, where you'll treat us right and okay, but you don't have the respect for your wife? Well, you treat her that way? And guys, this is not the way we should do it. I'm ashamed to say, I've done that to my wife. We used to have a men's home and I used to work on the job. And, and oftentimes my wife would say, Pat, you treat the guys on the job, or you treat the guys in the men's home that you work with better than you treat us. You treat them with more kindness and grace. And unfortunately, I was guilty. That is not the way in which we should act or conduct ourselves. Paul would tell the men at Rome, listen, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Giving in honor, giving preference to one another. Again, men, let's not have the kind of relationship with our wives that would be the hypocritical. Like we treat them like garbage. And yet we'll treat everyone else all nice and kind. Let's cling to what is good and wanting and desiring to have the friendship kind of love with our wives to treat them as our best friend and not as an enemy. That we would be, as Peter would be asking us to adding to godliness, brotherly kindness, a fervent, practical caring for our wives. Okay, we're going to pray and I'm, I'm going to pray for the guys. Mary's going to pray for the ladies here. So Father, again, we do thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray for each and every one of us men here tonight. 
God, would you be with us? Would you uh, speak and minister to our hearts, Lord? Lord, help us not to have that hypocritical kind of, of love. This is the kind of love we're supposed to have that is caring, concerned, and, and giving, Lord. Help each one of us men, Lord, to, to have that kind of love towards our spouse. Forgive us, God, please, when that kind of love has not been within our lives. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word for us tonight, Lord. And Lord, we just pray as women and as wives that you would help us as well, that you would teach us what it looks like to be that helpmate, that one that comes alongside and is a friend to our spouse. Lord, we thank you for the gift of our spouse and how blessed that we are. And Lord, we pray that you would teach us how to love them just as you have um, loved us first, that we would love our spouse as well. Lord, we pray that your word would um, go forth tonight and it would pierce our hearts and that we would not leave this place unchanged, but that you would make us more like you. And we thank you for the promise that your word never returns void. And we just look forward to you accomplishing your plan and your purpose in us to make us more like you in this journey of faith. And we just thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. We'll see you back here next week. Thanks for coming out.